0: Hello everyone. And welcome to this episode of Food for Thought, which is a series of conversations where we talk with business owners, entrepreneurs, philanthropists and thought leaders in the Jewish community. I wanna thank our sponsor, the Hebrew Free Loan of San Francisco for supporting our Northern California Jewish community for over 124 years. And this series is another way of offering resources and support to our community. My name is Roman Polner. I'm your host. And on behalf of the Hebrew Free Loans Business Circle, I'm excited to have this conversation with Alex Wall, whose name many of you may very well recognize, especially if you read The J, The New York Times, or anything about the local Jewish food culture. Alex is an award-winning journalist, a contributing editor to The J, The New York Times, The Jewish News of Northern California, Berkeleyside, and The Forward. Alex also works a lot in the food industry and is the founder of Illuminashi, which uh, as we'll later hear is a not so secret society of Bay Area Jewish food professionals. And so without further ado, please welcome Alex Wall. Hi, Alex. Thanks for Hi, joining much- us.
1: Thanks so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> Good.
0: So you're quite busy. You're, you're a journalist. You're a storyteller. You're a connector. And I hear you're also working now on a film. Did I miss anything?
1: That pretty much sums it up.
0: (laughs) Well, I really want to talk about the film. I'll save it for a little bit later because I know that it's a really personal project for you. And I think that a lot of our listeners will absolutely love to hear that story. Uh, But let's start with your career as a writer. as a journalist, like tell us about like, where can people find you and what do you write about?
1: I like to say that I write about food, love and Jews. And um, my career started really in Jewish journalism. I never intended to go into Jewish journalism, but I found that it was a really good fit. Mm -hmm. And in the Bay area, I was on staff of the J, formerly the Northern, the Jewish bulletin of Northern California for six years when it was still under Mark Klein's leadership. I started in 2000 and left there full time in 2006 uh, to become a natural food chef. And that's kind of another that leads to my next path, the the food thing. But um, I always just found that covering the Jewish community was a really good fit for me because, you know, I have a strong Jewish identity. I didn't even know Jewish journalism existed when I was growing up. I didn't live in a community that had a Jewish newspaper, but I moved to New York. I went to uh nyu for grad school in journalism and middle eastern studies at the time and just fell into it kind of by accident and realized oh this is this really suits me because um i just yeah i care deeply about the jewish community and jewish issues and so it was a really good fit um so yeah i've been in the i've never really left it um but at the same time my interests expanded outward and i i did leave journalism and remained a freelancer at the J when I became a natural food chef. And I did that for a number of years. Um, and in 2011, I think Sue Fishkoff, the new editor at the time offered me a different kind of food column where I would start covering interesting Jews in the food world. And, um, that was 10, maybe even it was earlier than 2011. I don't really remember, but, um, It's been a long time I'm still doing that column you all I you know I constantly get recognized it's it's a very strange kind of fame where I'll be in Berkeley bowl or something and be recognized by someone who reads my column in the J. Um, (laughs) I get recognized at farmers markets. (laughs) Um, It's kind of funny, uh, because my picture runs there.
0: Listen, you take, you know, food, you take love, you take the Jews. It's a perfect trifecta. Of course, you're going to be a celebrity in the community.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And the love thing actually started with the J. Um, I started writing my own vows type stories um, for readers of that column in the New York Times. I've been a longtime fan of it. And I started doing my own in the J also probably over a decade ago when we needed something for the celebration supplement. And really, I was just trying to work my way up into the Vow section of the New York Times. And um, it happened during the pandemic. And I've been a regular contributor now for over a year and a half. I appear regularly on Sundays in the style section. Um, And it's it's like a dream come true. It's totally a dream gig for me because who doesn't love reading those stories? I mean, the news is so horrible on a day-to-day basis. And I think we need uplifting stories in the media. It just... Otherwise, it's it's just terrible every time you open the newspaper. So I think these stories give people a lot of hope. And I like to think they help people uh, by fortifying them to read the rest of the newspaper because, you know, I don't have to say what's going on in the world, It's especially right now.
0: Well, that's a good point. And with everything that is going on in the world, and it's nice that you're bringing some lightness to all of it, especially to the news. But I know that's in part connected to one of the stories you're most proud of that you were mentioning to me earlier. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, so this was a Jay story that I was asked to write by, again, Sue Fishkoff, um, based on another story I had written. She had gotten word about a man in prison in Vacaville who had started a college program that had educated 1,500 incarcerated men, and um, he was never gonna get out. He was called a lifer. Um, He had committed a murder of, a man who uh, was threatening him and his wife Uh, he was her ex-husband and he was violent and so he thought he was going to kill them and he was a vietnam vet and had ptsd and so he took matters into his own hands and killed him and um, he got a life sentence um, and he just was determined that he was going to make the best life he could knowing that he was never going to get out of prison and his story was so inspiring i went to vacville to meet him when he got transferred there um, I should say that, of course, he was Jewish, which was how we found out about him. And um, what a story. I sat there for four hours and was just just completely riveted by listening to him tell his story. And um, what was even more riveting after that was interviewing all the people that he had helped. And um, I ended up getting very involved in his story and going to Sacramento and testifying in front of the parole board. Um, My story got to Governor Brown's office, we know for a fact, because an investigator came to the prison and told him so that I'm here because we all read that story about you in the Jewish newspaper. And two years later, it took two full years to go through the parole process. But in January of 2020, he was released from prison. I was at the gate when he walked out. And um, I still, it, it was a highlight of my life to be part of something like that. I think every journalist hopes that they can really make a difference for their work. And so few get to see the results like that. And it, um, he and all of his team, you know, say that it was my story that did it. Of course, we couldn't get confirmation from the governor's office. They say they don't uh, comment on individual stories, but it was really like a life highlight, not just a professional highlight, but a life highlight to be at the gate when he wa- when he went free.
0: That's a really, really cool story.
1: Um, people can find it's it amazing. by Googling um, my name, Alex Wall, Alex with an I at the J website, and James White, that's his name. Um, mm-hmm. And Sneaky is his nickname. So if you Google those search terms, you'll find <laughs> the story. It was written in March of 2018.
0: That's very cool. So yeah. what are you writing about now?
1: Oh, gosh. Well, um, I'm working on a story. My next vows couple for the Times is a lovely black gay couple who are in their 60s who are getting married in Palm Springs um, this coming weekend. And um, I've done an interview with them and they are just, one of them has actually lived in the Bay Area for years. We have a lot of friends in common. Um, They're just so lovely and I'm super excited for people to read that one. Um, And then I'm working on my next J column. You know, I'm always, I always have like numerous stories that I'm working on at the same time.
0: So again, remind our listeners, you're obviously- have been writing for the J for a long time. 22 years. 20 years?
1: 22 years.
0: 22 years.
1: Almost, yes.
0: You're now contributing writer for the new york Um, times
1: i would just say i'm a freelancer for the new york times contributing editor is a i have that at the j but that's like a specific title um i'm freelance everywhere else um you can also find me in berkeley side which is an award-winning news site that covers the east bay there's also the oakland side which was started more recently um i do mostly food stories for them but i i've sometimes am asked to do other things i recently wrote a story about um, the former uh, fire chief of Berkeley who got a kidney transplant, the donor was one of his best friends, and it was a very heartwarming story. They shared their story because they're both Asian-Americans, and Asian-Americans do not tend to dominate organs as much as some other cultures because of cultural reasons. So they were wanted to raise awareness about that.
0: Cool. Well, we'll put, I think, links to all of these different publication so people can find you. Sure. But you'd mentioned food a number of times and uh, from you know your background as a chef and writing about food. And I'm sure that's in some way connected to your work with the or founding of the Illuminati. So tell us about it, this not so secret food society.
1: <laughs> yeah. So um, with the help of the Schusterman Foundation, um, I started this group in 2015 is when I first had the idea after attending a conference that the Schusterman Foundation put on food professionals. Jewish food. And I had written this column for years. I, I realized, you know, i had been talking to so many Jews who worked in food. Oh, do you know this person? You don't. Well, you should know that person. And I've always kind of considered myself a connector more than anything else. And I found that I kept introducing people. And I realized at that conference that I went to, um, you know, there were so many different people talking about future collaborations, but we were from all over the country. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if we had something like this for Area Jewish food professionals and no one had founded such a group. So, um, despite the fact that I never really saw myself as a group founder, I founded it. And you know, it's kind of been a side project, it's it's not anything that um, you know earns me money, but it does earn me a great deal of satisfaction. And it's been so much fun. I've had some great gatherings before COVID, of course. And um, there have been some great partnerships that have grown out of it. And um, that is my connection to Hebrew Free Loan because a lot of people who have gotten loans in the food industry are sent my way by Cindy or people at Hebrew free loan and vice versa. Sometimes I send, you know, I, I know of people wanting to open a new business and I tell them about Hebrew free loan now because I know about it. And, uh, so that's a really good connection to have.
0: Oh, and thank you for doing that. I, mm-hmm, I know my it helps pleasure. everybody. And it's a, it's my a, pleasure. A, yes. Thank you. Well, do you have any interesting or fun stories in, uh, within the Illuminati the, the connections that you've created that you want to mention?
1: Oh, well, I mean, I jokingly kind of take credit for the Square Pie Guys, which is a very popular Detroit style pizza um, restaurant that is about to open their third restaurant in Ghirardali Square. They're in South of Market. There's one in Oakland. Um, the founders are two young Jewish guys who cook together, I believe, for the second time at an Illuminati event. And it was driving to that event and back that they talked about their philosophies and where they could see themselves in a couple of years. And they realized they both wanted to be owners and not just working for someone else. And they basically decided on that trip to go into business together. So um, I jokingly take the credit for, I mean, they're amazingly successful. They're, they're really, doing really well and their pizza is delicious. So if you haven't tried Square Pie, guys, I highly recommend it.
0: Sounds like we'll need to put a link in our show yeah, notes to absolutely. the pizza guys too.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Danny Stoller and Mark Schachter are the names of the two guys.
0: That's great. Yeah. And so they didn't know each about each other, you're saying? They did
1: know each other. They had cooked together like once or twice, but they really, you know, Mark had volunteered like at your next Illuminati event, I want to cook. And I said, great. And we had an event at a winery in Hillsburg where we didn't have food on site. And so I said, would you be willing to drive to Hillsburg? And he said, yes, if I can get help. And Danny, I think Danny had cooked with him once or twice before. So he asked Danny to come along. But it was my event and they went and they drove there and back together. And, you know, that's when they decided they they wanted to maybe go into business together. So
0: there you go. You can it, add a matchmaker to your t- uh, long totally. list. Totally. Well,
1: that's what. I, yeah, I love. <laughs> I love being able to do that when I can. It's it's very satisfying.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I, I know that you've I think your whole professional career, you've been as a writer connecting the dots. Then you've been connecting people. And as a writer, you've been. um talking about you know people's stories and putting them together bringing them to life and uh i want to shift gears because i know there's a very personal story uh in your own life that you're now trying to tell um and you're writing or are doing a film about it so tell us about it
1: yeah so um my whole career i feel like has been leading up to in some way because i do love telling people's stories and sharing other people's stories and yet there have been so many times in my life where people hear my family story and they say, "When are you going to write your own family story? When are you going to write that book?" And for years, I struggled with, "I need to write a book about it." But I felt like as long as I keep writing about everyone else, I'm never going to, you know, tell do this. And that's one reason why I became a chef for a while. In fact, years ago, um, and I couldn't find my way into this story. It's, it's um, my mother is a child survivor of the Holocaust. My grandparents are survivors. Um, I'm an only child, I'm not having children, which makes this all the more poignant for me, I think, because I feel like I want this story to carry on in some way. Um, There was a song that was written in the Vilna Ghetto by a partisan named Shmerke Katraginski, who is very well known in Yiddish circles as a poet and partisan. He wrote many, many poems and lyrics to songs during the war. Um, apparently my grandmother had a relationship with him while they were in the Vilna Ghetto that I never knew about because she married someone else after the war, even though he was interested in her then and she had already lost her husband. Um and he wrote a song about my mother and grandmother called The Lonely Child, Dos Entley Kind. And there's are so many beautiful things about this song, but one of them is that it has no specific details about the Holocaust or the camps or Nazis or Jews or World War II. It's really just about a mother who's missing her child or a child who's missing her mother and her father. Um, and it's so applicable to so many situations. Um, I heard once a sixth grader who studied the song say in the, fil- in the, in the film that we're making, uh something about it, it was if the writer knew that he wanted his song to live on and and used in other situations which i was amazed to hear a sixth grader say that anyway um i came together with a man mark smolowitz who's a bay area filmmaker um he and i went to uc santa cruz together it was there that we both realized that we were each children of a holocaust survivors specifically hidden children his mother was a hidden child in um wudge and my mother was in And we had been friends for a long time before we made that connection. Neither of us knew many other children of Holocaust survivors. I didn't grow up in a community where there were a lot of us and neither did he. Um, And so I always remember that about him. And then we both found ourselves living in the Bay Area 30 years later. um, And I knew he was the one to help me make this film. Um, And because it's about a song, I saw it as a film rather than a you know, a book that I would write because I wanted to talk to musicians and hear different performances of the song. Um, So really making this documentary is a way to ensure that the song will live on. I, for years, I thought I knew about the song, but I kind of thought that no one else really knew about it or I didn't, I wasn't aware people were continuing to sing it. And so once I found out that there were these stories that kind of appeared in my life that were kind of pushing me toward this, I needed to start investigating them and finding out who is singing the song, um, who are, why does the song matter to them? Who's keeping it alive today? And that's what the film is about.
0: And the film is called what?
1: The Lonely Child. Mm
0: -hmm. You can
1: find out more about it by going to lonelychildmovie.com. We recently received our first institutional grant to help us with the movie from the claims conference, which I think a lot of your listeners probably know is an organization that gives uh, restitution, reparation money to survivors, as well as they have a film division and they've awarded you know many award-winning Holocaust films um, money, and so we are trying to match the twenty thousand dollars that they gave us at the beginning of the year. Um, and you know, it's been a long haul. I'm not going to lie; it's it's not easy. A lot of people warn me how difficult it is to make a film and to raise the money for it, um, but I. I feel really committed and I have a very committed partner. And even though it's been a couple of years already, we're kind of determined to make it happen. So, um, I want to just make a little request. Um, I would love anyone listening to this. If you want to know more to please go to lonelychildmovie.com. Uh, I do feel like I have devoted my career to telling the stories of others, maybe even your story. Um, maybe someone you love. For many years at the J, I wrote obituaries and I spoke to so many people in the community that Mm -hmm. way. And knowing that I did a good job and telling their loved one's story as a final tribute was one of the most gratifying things I did at that time. Um, And so I, yeah, I just want to say if anyone listening to this feels like they want to help, um, we definitely could use it. And, um, all donations are tax deductible through our fiscal sponsor, the national center for Jewish film at Brandeis university. All of this information is on our website, lonelychildmovie.com.
0: I was actually going to ask if, if our listeners are, uh, able to help, would they just be able to do that through the website? And I think okay. you've answered the question.
1: They absolutely can. <laughs> There's a donate link. You can also see some shorts, um, one of them was released with the help of the Jewish Film Institute right. a couple summers ago. Mark Smolowitz was a filmmaker in residence with them, and they featured one of our shorts. Uh, I think that was two years ago. I don't remember now. Everything is a blur with COVID, as you know. <laughs> time, time is a very uh, loose concept.
0: <laughs> it is. Uh, so l- l- let's go back for a second. Uh, you've you've talked about you know, how the story came about, or how the song came about. Mm-hmm. Right is this man in the ghetto who Mm
1: -hmm. was in love with my grandmother with your grandmother yeah
0: but how did how did all this come around how were you how did you find out I mean it sounds like the song has been around for so long that
1: yeah my mom didn't I mean the sad thing we're coming up on my mother's 20th yard site next month she died May 25th uh 2002 of breast cancer at age 62 and it's so crazy because my dad and I talk now about like what mom, what would mom have feel about this movie and, and what, you know, she didn't know that my grandmother was in this relationship with Katriginski. Mm -hmm. None of us knew that when I was a child, my mom, the song had been written about her, but she kind of forgot about it until she went to the opening of the Holocaust museum in Washington, DC in the nineties, found it on a computer there and started, she burst into tears because she knew it was about her. It even said on the screen, you know, the song was written about and it had her name, um and at that moment there was a group of middle schoolers that someone saw her crying who worked there and said can i help you with something and he she ran my mom could barely speak and she said this song it was written about me and the woman got so you know excited she ran and got the ethnomusicologist there his name is Brett Werb Brett Werb sorry Brett and um he came and was so excited to meet her he had written his PhD thesis on Katraginski. It turns out, Um, and so there was this group of of middle school children there, and my mom had never spoken to a group of children, of school children, about her story before, but she did it that day for the first time, and the song sort of motivated her. Um,
0: I just got goosebumps hearing that story. Yeah, it's pretty
1: profound, and you know, it it is really um, sad. That now it's such a known fact that my grandmother, well, I don't know, known is a funny thing, because of course, it's such a small group of people who Mm -hmm. even know who Katraginski was, but um, a book came out a couple years ago by David Fishman, a professor at JTS, the Jewish Theological Seminary, called The Book Smugglers, and my grandmother is featured very prominently in that book, and he documents their love affair in the book. Um, and so it's, it's well known among certain people who care about this very, you know, small subject. But the other thing I should say about it is the conditions that my grandmother and Katraginski were working in, in the Vilna ghetto are worthy of mention, because, um, the reason this book was written, the book smugglers, it's about a group of Jews called the paper brigade. They called themselves that, um, they were tasked by the Nazis to go through, you know, Vilna was this cultural capital. Mm -hmm of Eastern Europe and um, the Nazis have collected all of these artifacts that they were going to put in their museum of an extinct race. And they needed people who were fluent in many languages to go through all these items and select what was worthy of being kept for the museum and what was gonna be recycled. And um, so they got a group of these slave laborers who left the ghetto every day. My grandmother was fluent in five or six languages. She had a master's degree at that time in history. Um, And so she was one of these people who would go to the YIVO building every day and they would sort through all of these items and they would hide many of them in the building, smuggle them back into the ghetto. And they felt it was more important than save, you know, trying to smuggle food back was saving poetry and saving Mm -hmm. books and saving, you know, our culture. Um, And that is a story that I feel like hasn't fully gotten its due either. And I, um, you know, this book was written, but this is also my way of... um, you know, I want my grandmother to be remembered for what she did. I feel like women aren't, women's stories aren't often as told, of course, and people know who Katraginsky was and people know who Abraham Suskiver was, who was another poet in that group, um, whose granddaughter also recently made a film about him. Um, He's, he was uh, he immigrated to Israel, and she felt like the Israelis never fully knew who he was because he wrote in Yiddish, and mm-hmm. he was never fully recognized for his contributions. then my grandmother was not a poet, so you know her name isn't out there in the same way. But she did this important work, and I'm incredibly proud of that. And I I want her name to be you know remembered more so than it is right now.
0: Well, and you know we all have stories, we all have history, especially our people just have through that time, um, there's so many untold stories, but I actually have never heard the story about your grandma and how she found, you know, and preserved all of these books. But it sounds like you're definitely following in those footsteps by continuing to, you know, retell and preserve stories and make sure that they live on.
1: Yeah. I mean, I can't can't compare myself to her because what she did was so heroic and I feel like I'm just doing my thing, but, um, you know, the circumstances are so different, but, um, thank you for saying that.
0: Well, thanks for doing that. It's uh, it's incredibly important and we're fortunate not to have to live in a time that is difficult, even though there are people around the world right now going through tremendous, uh, you know, heartache and pain as well. Absolutely. Um, so it must not be easy telling and digging up, all of the different points of reference to tell a story and to find out stories, what would you say is the most difficult part of your job?
1: Oh gosh. Um, I don't know what, you know, people not getting back to you in a timely manner.
0: <laughs> you, <laughs> you mean know, you I'm deal not, with that too?
1: Oh gosh. Yes. I mean, I'm not really an investigative journalist. Um, mm-hmm. you know, so I feel like I don't spend a ton of time on a story. Um, I, I don't really encounter, you know, Stories where people just don't want to talk to me. Um, I think the hardest part about, well, okay, yeah, I know what the hardest part is for sure. You know, if when I work on a story, and depending on what the story is, you know, you always have pages and pages and pages of notes that you could turn into the story. But it, it's your job to determine what belongs in the story and what goes on the cutting room floor, as you'd say and um i really struggle with that because i always turn in my stories longer than they should be i always want to write more i always joke <laughs> that i should be writing for the new yorker because there they wouldn't care if i turned in a 20,000 word story i don't quite feel like i'm i'm wanting to write a book but i often feel like oh i i can't tell the story in you know 1500 words i need at least 3000 and and that's hard um because i often feel like oh i still have so much good stuff that i could I could put in there and I just can't and, it, and you know I think there's someone famous said something about um you know I couldn't write you a short letter so I wrote you a long one um
0: that's right was it Twain? <laughs> twain. It yeah. sounds like it could have been Twain. <laughs>
1: yeah I think it was twain <laughs> um and because it, it is it's harder to write you know yeah. succinctly than to tell a longer story but I always want to tell more there's always more to tell always
0: There's always more to tell and it's so hard to get to the essence because there's just so many stories and there's so many elements and they all intertwine just like they do in life. Exactly. Well, it's been so wonderful talking to you. And I do want to remind our listeners to uh, visit the website. We'll put it on the show notes. Alex, remind us again what that domain is so that we can keep track and tabs on your movie. And if people are able to help you make it a reality, what's the website again?
1: Lonelychildmovie.com.
0: Perfect. We'll put it in the notes as well. Any other thoughts? Anything you want to leave our listeners with?
1: Gosh. um, No, just continue to support Hebrew Free Loan. I love what they do. And I think, um, you know, I am a a firsthand uh, supporter of so many of the businesses who have received loans from Hebrew Free Loan. So I'm just very grateful that they exist. And um, it makes me proud when I see, you know, some of our Jewish food businesses because those are the ones that I really track um you know when I see them from the ground up like start from nothing and really build themselves into many you know empires which I'm thinking of two or three in particular um like as needed bakery I met her at a uh Ileana Berkowitz at a Hebrew free loan lunch that Cindy invited me to some years Mm -hmm. ago and she her bread is absolutely phenomenal she told me for my J column that she was going to make the best bread in the Bay Area. And I, I thought at the time, what chutzpah? But I really think she has. And um, <laughs> a good friend of mine is Mika Talmor of Pamela, who opened her restaurant literally a week after Shelter-in-Place went into effect. Mm-hmm. Um, they just celebrated their second birthday. And then she's killing it. She's just doing so well. And it's just, like, so gratifying to see these businesses thrive, um, you know, with the help of our this wonderful organization. So thank you for doing what you do.
0: Well, thank you. It does take a community. It takes a village and, you know, Hebrew Free Loan is certainly there to help make the same connections that you do in your world. And it's uh, that's how we work as a community. It's better together. Yeah. yeah. Um, so for all of us listening who are in the food business or if you're thinking about opening a restaurant or you are in the restaurant business, they should know about your Illuminati blog. Is there a website as well?
1: Um, there's no blog. It's just, uh, yes, there is a website, Illuminati.com. We'll put that in the show notes as well. Okay. Um, and anyone can reach out to me by emailing me, Alex Wall, A-L-I-X-W-A-L-L at Gmail. I'm, I'm happy to, you know, add anyone to the list who's in the food business. Awesome. And identi- <laughs> a- identifies as Jewish in some way, I always say.
0: well thanks again for taking the time to talk to us it was wonderful thank you for the shout out and thank you for being a huge connector and a storyteller of important stories of people in our community thank you you so much for having me it's a pleasure be well
1: you too